If you read uh, Christian kind of news uh, websites or kind of maybe you just happen to notice on your Facebook feed or something like that, you may have heard uh, of the news this past week uh, regarding uh, just uh, the strange thing that happened at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Anybody read about it? Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah, I guess religion news is not up there, huh? Uh, that's okay. But that's what pastors read. So now I could tell you what's significant. Anyways, Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, once a great... Uh, uh, seminary, just uh, uh, many of the are uh, well, many of the works that we still use is, is just as pastors that are um, created by men, uh, faithful men in the past. Uh, well, once it was a very solid seminary, and they became uh, liberal. But anyways, this week I was reading this news article, and um, we'll get to the scripture, but but just want to tell you this news. Anyways, uh, it happened where uh, you, many, if you have heard of Pastor Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Kelly's Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, Manhattan, really. So it's just a, he really grew a church. A part of a, he was invited to be uh, awarded a, the Abraham Kuyper uh, ex, Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Witness at uh, at Princeton Theological PTS. The, but then, as soon as uh, they so they invited him, he usually as he goes, he'll show up, he'll give a speech, and then he'll get an award. When the seminary's alumni and students began to find out of that, oh, they had awarded him this this uh, uh, this prize, this uh, honor, they began to protest and they said, "Oh no, uh, Keller holds to traditional Orthodox views on the ordination of women and same-sex relationships, and so uh, and his his kind of doctrines are basically toxic theology." And um, they protested, and so the this Princeton school eventually. Uh, withdrew their honor of him. They said, well, we won't honor give, but, uh, uh, it's kind of just interesting that Pastor Keller, they still invited Pastor Keller to, to go up and to speak, <laughs> give a speech there anyways, and he graciously ag- agreed. And uh, what, just kind of reading from that, it's like, oh man, you see that we get, we see just a small little example of our, in our world of how, uh, the traditional views of, of, of marriage, biblical views of marriage, uh, needless to say too, about sexuality, are uh, not even accepted at uh, seminaries. Well, liberal seminaries, particularly some liberal seminaries like Princeton. But that kind of shows a, a cultural shift that's been taking all, taking uh, place in our in our country. Probably over well, it's been a while now, but even more so in the last twenty years or so. Um, <clears throat> these are the times we live in. Uh, traditional views on biblical views on marriage are uh, gender roles are not accepted. In fact, if you hold to such views, you uh, probably will not be honored in the public square. Uh, they, uh, you will um, uh, be called a toxic person, which is just a skip, uh, hop, skip, and a jump from basically saying you are harming other people. And if you are harming other people, then maybe you should be put in prison. I think that's the, that's going to be the steps that we'll take. Uh, so not to say that's going to happen, but it's I could picture it. Well, in today's passage... We come to a text, uh, I want to give you all a fair warning, a passage that speaks about the traditional biblical view of gender and sexuality. So if uh, you don't want to hear this kind of stuff, uh, you probably better head to the door. Okay, so, uh, but this is what God says, and this is what we're going to look at this morning. And this is Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 to 5, we're talking about the sound doctrine for younger women. It speaks to the role of, of women, and their, particularly young married women within the church. And these, uh, we hopefully uh, will just show you what the scriptures say and may be encouraging to you. I know that for many young women who were raised in our country, uh, taught in our public school system, uh, much of this would be probably opposite of what you are encouraged to think like in, in some of our schools. So um, I know, yeah, so may, uh, may God just teach us this morning. Let's read the word, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. Verses 1 through 15. Again, we'll read all the whole, the whole passage, but we'll focus on verses 4 and 5. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, poor, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, 
In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning and in light of just our this, the world that we live in, uh, some of the, the principles we find in this text are, do not sit well with our world. They are counter to our, our culture. They uh, are perceived as, by some as being toxic, as being uh, detrimental, backwards, uh, and not helpful to the woman whom your word addresses. But Lord, we know that your word is only that which is helpful. It is only that which is healthy. It is sound doctrine for all that it speaks about, for all who it speaks to. And Father, we come before you and ask that you give us ears to hear what your word has to say. Especially, Father, not only do we speak to all of us, but speak to our our sisters and the younger sisters in this church among us as they hear what you have to say to them. And Lord, may you uh, continue to cause this church to grow in healthiness, help us to walk and live in ways that befit the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ that you've entrusted to us and you know, open, that you've given us to see in Christ. We pray that you'll be glorified through the preaching of your word. And Lord, help us to, uh, even as we, to live in our world, even as we uh, find ourselves uh, being on the opposite side of being what, that which is popular, we pray that we would be uh, gracious in our speech, that we would be uh, uh, that we would be um, kind, that we'd be peaceable, uh, but that we yet we would speak truth in love. Uh, so, Lord, help us uh, uh, not just to speak these things, and but Lord, help us to live them in our lives. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> As we <clears throat> have been going through the series, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the series on the different uh, the different people groups, uh, the older men, young, older women, younger women, younger men uh, that <clears throat> that need to uh, conduct themselves in a manner befitting of uh, the sound doctrine that we have in Christ. This uh, this passage particularly. Uh, teaches us our need for uh, younger women in this church. Younger women is classified as those basically younger than age 60. So it's a, it's a good wide swath. A lot of times in our day, we think of younger women, we think of perhaps uh, just single ladies, you know, the 20-somethings or the teens. But this uh, younger woman really would apply to almost anybody uh, from the teenage years up to uh, six, up to 50 or 50s. So it's a wide swath of, of age. So it's, I mean, that's a Good number of you sisters out there. But the church needs younger women who will conduct themselves in a way that reflects the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. Uh, this morning's text uh, encourages and exhorts us, to, uh, especially the young women in the church, to, to live godly lives that befit sound doctrine. It's also an encouragement to our older women. As we, though we looked at older women last week, this is a continuation of the passage that speaks to older women. These are things that older women are to, are to exemplify and to model and to also to pass on, to encourage our younger sisters in. Uh, these are, <clears throat> uh, these are part of that which is, they are the, part of that which is good that they are to teach to them. And as our sisters live these lives, then their lives will inevitably impact uh, the people around them, their families, uh, their husbands, their, their children, and then also 
the church as well. So we uh, pray that this would would help us to grow. But let's just uh, briefly review again where we've been. Titus chapter 2 is about speaking the things fitting for sound doctrine. These are the kind of conduct that befits the sound doctrine we hold in Jesus Christ, the gospel. This is how we should live in light of the gospel. In chapter, uh, verse 2 through 10, we look at conduct, the specific conducts to the various groups that befit such sound doctrine. Verse 2 addresses the older men. Verse 3 to 4 addresses the older women. And now we arrive at verse 4 to 5, where Paul addresses, tells Titus, really, <clears throat> uh, to, well, he's addressing the younger woman, but technically, he's not telling Titus to urge the younger woman to live this way. This is in the context where he, he used to urge the older woman to teach and encourage the younger woman in this way. And it's kind of just a real subtle uh, thing that you might miss, but yet significant in just how our, these areas are, are best encouraged among our young women. Even, even as, and we're mindful of that too. Even as I preach the word of God, I can preach the word of God and say what it says, but an older woman who comes alongside our, our younger sisters is going to be more powerful than you know, this guy who has no idea what it means to be a younger wife in, in a family. After to you know, this just doesn't. I don't have any much credibility in those areas except to simply say this is what the Bible says. Okay, but nevertheless, this is what the Bible says. Okay, so we'll. Um, Part of the instruction, then, that the older women are to teach the younger women, what we find here, are seven particular qualities. Um, now, sometimes we wonder, why, why do the younger women get seven qualities? It's because you're better multitaskers, okay? <laughs> Just FYI, in case you're wondering, whoa, what, is there something wrong with us? No, it's because you're better multitaskers. Uh, no. <laughs> I actually heard, why do the younger men seem to only get one quality? It's because... They can only focus on one thing at a time. No, it's just uh, the younger men will get more. We'll look at them next week. Anyways, we looked as an outline for seven godly qualities of a young woman that befit sound doctrine. So seven qualities, and you know, that's we've got to fly through them, all right? So uh, let's just kind of fly through them. We'll kind of uh, just we're almost skimming through these seven different qualities this morning. But hopefully the, the overall big picture is that these ladies are called, these sisters are called to uh, be to adorn the doctrine of Christ Jesus in their homes in a godly manner. So the first quality befitting of sound doctrine for young women is that they are loving their husbands. They, they be loving of their husbands. And verse 4 says, so that they, the older women may encourage the young women. And by the way, it could be translated younger women too. Uh, it's, it really, the word just means new, it means fresh. Uh, context would tell who's young or younger. But in the contrast with older women, since older women is translated older, young here should be translated young. I prefer younger. So I kind of flip-flop. I'll sometimes say young and I'll say younger. I think, uh, I think the idea is younger women is the idea. But they encourage the younger women to love their husbands. The term, uh, <clears throat> the term, as you will see this young woman, it could be any younger woman, but it seems in the context that it's primarily referring to young married women, younger married women. That's, uh, Paul has primarily them in mind here. Doesn't mean that doesn't apply to our single ladies, single sisters here. But uh, for Paul and, and at the times that they lived in the culture, most, many, the majority of younger women were married women. And so he's just appealing to the majority group. But then all these, these principles would be uh, qualities that all our sisters in Christ, as well, many of our men too, uh, some of these qualities would pursue in their life as a reflection of the gospel. Um, <clears throat> in the original Greek here, which is not, it's not obvious in the NAS translation, but the verb to be is actually, to be is present in this, in this verse. In fact, it's, it's what they are to encourage the young women. It says here, encourage, it seems like the verb is love here, right? Love their husband. But it's actually literally that they may encourage the young woman to be, and then the seven qualities. To be loving their husbands. To be loving of their children. To be sensible. To be pure. And so the emphasis on who are you to be uh, uh, and so not just so much the word love, but to be this. This is what our sisters in Christ are called to be. She is first to be loving her husband. Uh, I mentioned last week, but it still seems just as odd to me today. Uh, that it seems odd, right, to ask, tell young women, uh, maybe newly married, to be encouraged by older women to love their husbands. It's just, I mean, well, isn't that what they normally do? You think that they uh, would 
just kind of later on when we said younger love their children, it seems the same way too. But uh, I think what we kind of what we understand, especially as we've been married many years, a little longer, that if you've been married for a couple of years or so, you know that <clears throat> encouragement in this area is always needed, right? It's like we we all know we're supposed to love our neighbors. Yeah, right. But we all need that encouragement to love our neighbors. We all need encouragement to, to love uh, people in our lives. Um, so there's an encouragement for the sisters to love their husbands. Um, it's not easy to love one's husband, right? Um, <laughs> I just had a thought. Uh, all sisters want to say amen at that point. But uh, when you begin... Uh, Let's face it, right? You married someone, you, when you first married them, unless you, even with the best of premarital counseling, I can't get in your heads that you're marrying a sinner. You'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm marrying a sinner. But you like, you know, in your heart, you I'm marrying a saint. You know, and he, you, you, I'm marrying, a, he's, and that's, he is, he is, and she is, you know. He's kind of just, you, we just think so much of, the one we're, we're marrying, and, and we just uh, we just think they can do no wrong, even though we know intellectually in our heads, yeah, they can do wrong. But you feel it after a couple of years in marriage. You feel it when it's the the tenth or hundredth time that something they disappointed you, they've sinned against you, and they're asked coming to come to you seeking your forgiveness once again. You really begin to see there's that they are a sinner, that they are they do have faults, and when they leave their socks on the floor for the thousandth time. When they half listen to you for the, you know, uh, umpteenth time when you want to talk, uh, God calls you to love him affectionately. Okay? Love him. Love your husbands. Uh, when, to seek his good. Love him to respect him and, to, and showing respect to him continually. You know, you can, uh, we can all say that we love our husbands, I'm sure, or, or sisters. But how does that look like in your life? How do you show? How do you demonstrate? How do you adorn this? When others watch your life, do they see a woman who loves her husband, who loves her husband? Uh, even, uh, you know, it, it's, it should be seen in some way. It should be seen in some way, visible. Well, we move on. We move on. The second quality is similar to the first, right? Young women who are holding to sound doctrine not only are to be loving their, loving their husbands, but they are to be loving their children, it says here in verse, uh, verse 4. Wow. <clears throat> Even far more odd that we, she would need to be encouraged to love her children. I, you think as soon as a, a mother gives birth, even, even before a mother gives birth to her children, she probably already immediately feels a strong, in, intense commitment of love to her children uh, just because as, she's grown, as that child is growing in her womb. Very normal, uh, natural thing to happen. And so you think, oh, well, why do we need to encourage the young mom, younger sisters, to love their children. But in a similar way, as the years go on, right, you know, maybe as they grow older, and they start manifesting that sin nature, uh, they start, uh, again, disobeying you for or not paying attention to you or... Uh, Hitting and punching their their brothers, or uh, for the you know hundredth time, thousandth time, when they don't listen to you, when they leave their things lying around the floor, when they basically just uh, throw food everywhere, or whatever it is that children do, or or worse things, when they start lying to you, then it's at times so when you're out of frustration and uh, being upset and hurt, we really need God's encouragement to love. Their children to love our children, and that's where I believe when older women come in hand, because older women have gone through that. They've gone through the whole gamut of raising children. They they finished the they finished the raising children. Yeah, they you know they they work on the grandchildren. You know at that point, but they finished it. They they remember that whole uh, they remember that the whole raising the children from infancy on, and they remember how difficult it was and how yet they still. They, by the grace of God, continue to love their children. They will come alongside and encourage the younger sister to love their children. It'll be probably a time where uh, it's appropriate where older sisters come alongside to encourage your younger sisters with, to remember God's love for us, right? And that's probably the best way that older women will encourage younger women, how God loved us even though we were disobedient, how God sought the, our best at all times, even when we didn't seek him and we didn't want to, have to do anything with him. Uh, 
they'll remind us, our sisters, how he, God sacrificed his son for us, even though it was our, even though we deserved God's wrath and punishment. And all these things, when we think about the gospel, we think about the truth of the gospel, it will cause us to look at our children in a very similar way. And then we see how we are before God. And then she will love them. She will love them because she remembers how much God loved her. She will love them affectionately, seek their best continually, teach them faithfully. She will love because God first loved her. In love, she will tell them about the God who is love. I think sometimes you think about it, to love your children. What's the best thing you can do to show love for your children? In this world, the most loving, at least I believe the most loving thing you can do is to show, to teach them of the love of God. Because that is the love that they most need in this world. Yes, your love is important. Your love is imperfect. You will fail. You will fail them um, in your love. But God's love will never fail. And so as younger women who love their children, one of the great tasks is to share with them of the love of God. <clears throat> in fact, I've been thinking about children quite a bit recently. I don't know why. But one of the great opportunities that <clears throat> we, the church has to evangelize is our own children, right? It's like, it's really neat. It's like God just gives us like unbelieving visitors, you know. They just, bam, they're going to come. And they're going to come for 18 years or so or around there. And they're just going to come and keep listening. They're going to keep hearing. And we have opportunity to witness to them, to lead them to Christ. Uh, that's a great joy, great privilege. Uh, it's kind of amazing just how mothers of young children, uh, just amazed, uh, just the, the great privilege and the great joy it is because you have the great honor of being mo- the model and teacher to your children, especially the young children of Christ. Even though I can imagine, and I've seen it in my own wife, I see, I can imagine all uh, you young mothers out there, your hands are full caring for children. It's you're just tired, you're worn down. But yet, those first five years of your child's life, you will be the single most visible and influential Christian in his or her life, and you. You just probably just barely, you know, maybe may you just barely have strength just to just get get them food fed, get them keep them dry, uh, get them clo- keep them clothed, and do all the laundry and cooking, cleaning, and things like that for them. But you cannot neglect the teaching them of the love of Christ, discipling, modeling it for them. They're watching. They're listening. Man, so early they're listen, watching and listening. Are we talking to them about Jesus? Are you modeling for them Jesus? Uh, you know, this is a, and it's just a really interesting quote that I've read. A book that I've been reading on parenting. Uh, it's called Reset. <laughs> Anyways, it, I read this quote. And it's kind of just challenged me in, in thinking about, especially, so this is not just for young mothers, but young fathers too. Every interaction with your child should have one overarching goal, that your words and actions would lead them to love and fear the Lord more than they currently do. And uh, it's great. I just remember uh, once when I first arrived at this church, uh, you know, one of the older one of the older dads in this church kind of said, you know, my goal with my children is just to uh, get them to to love the Lord their God, to love God, to love God. That's that's all I want to do. I remember those words, and I, that's what I want to do now. I just want my kids to love the Lord their God, and that would be awesome. But that's what, that's our role. That's our role. Anyways, uh, the, we move on. Our younger women are called to be loving of their children. Thirdly, they are called to be sensible. Sensible. <clears throat> Here again, we find the key word in this section. This is this whole idea of sensibleness. This is interesting uh, <clears throat> that this quality is asked to be to is to be expected of older men, older women, younger men, and younger women. Here, this exhortation is to be sensible, to be self-controlled. <clears throat> it describes one who shows the, the proper restraint in all things, possessing a self-control in thought and judgment. Uh, it's the self-control that leads to behavior that is appropriate for every situation. A sensible person does not just uh, fly off the hook and just do crazy things. They think things through. They, they, they consider God's wisdom and they respond appropriately. And verse 12 is a, is a key verse here. 
Because there we learn that the appearance of Christ is the motivation for us to be sensible. It's that <clears throat> we don't be sensible just for to be sensible sake, but it's sensible because of the doctrines of Christ. Verse uh, 11, 12, we, just, we read this before. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's because Jesus has come that, and has brought salvation to all men that we are taught to say no to sin, say no to ungodliness, say no to our, the desires of the world, desires of our flesh, and instead to live for God, to say yes to God, to live sensibly, righteously, godly before him. That's why we live this way. It's the doctrines of Christ. It's the gospel that motivates us to live in this way. Instead of being controlled by your own, your desi- your own desires, you will be controlled by the desires of the Spirit. You, not be, you will not be one just consumed, seeking after uh, your own pleasures purely, but you'll be seeking after the pleasure of God. Your priorities are, are not your own priorities, but the priorities are the Lord's priorities for you. Young women are called to be sensible. Next, fourthly, a young woman is called to be pure. Pure. The main idea of pure is simply holy, the idea of holiness, purity, uh, and that's kind of a general sense of uh, morality before God. And sometimes uh, whenever I think about morality, you know, uh, I always think of there's a, a sort of a, a backlash against moralism, and, and rightly so. But we don't want to be, uh, live, as Christians, we don't want to be just purely about living by a set of certain morals for, for the, for the very, just for that sake. We are moral people. We believe in morals, but we believe that we follow them out of love for God, love for Christ. We don't be moral, just be, moralistic or obey God's command just because that would make us pleasing before him. But we do it because God has loved us and we, we, we want to imitate him. We come out of, a, out of a thankfulness of heart to be, we strive to be pure and holy. Well, but when used, this word is interesting, when used of, uh, with regards to women, it also has a, a secondary idea, a secondary idea, and it may be even primary in this case. And the idea of, ch- of chastity, it has a specific meaning of being chaste, being pure in sexual, uh, in sexual uh, uh, behavior. It's translated as such in First Peter 3, 2, where it says, uh, speaking to the wives, they are to have a chaste and respectful behavior. So that is, the idea of a, of a woman who is pure, not only in general, is going to be pure in her relationship with her husband. She is going to be faithful in voiding impurity in thought, word, or action. You know, it's interesting in the world of uh, in our world today. <clears throat> it seems to me that I either I'm just I'm just reading more of it. Or I don't know why, but I feel like when, when I was younger, maybe 20 or so, I think whenever I read about adultery or immorality, oftentimes I'd read about married men having relationships with uh, you know just other people. Uh, sometimes married people, sometimes single people, some other. I didn't wouldn't really hear about women, but nowadays I, when I read the news, I find that more and more. Uh, married women are also committing adultery. And maybe that's always been the way. I don't know. But just, it's what I've been noticing, just kind of observing as I read the news or see, see different headlines. I like, well, it's another married woman. Why would she? Here's a married woman of, you know, has multiple kids. Why would she? Maybe it's just the same reasons that a married man with multiple kids would also commit adultery. But we're just reading about it more. I'm reading more about it. And it's kind of just, uh, <clears throat> I find that just uh, disheartening because I've always just thought that, you know, women are, are going to be the stabilizer in the family. They, they bring stability in the family. They're, they devoted to their family. They, of all uh, in the family, will bend over backwards to not bring harm to their, their household, and especially to her children. But we're seeing this increasingly in our days. This is sad. Whether husband or wife or unmarried single, We who hold to the, the doctrines of Christ ought to conduct ourselves in a manner befitting of that to maintain purity in our lives. Oh, we ought, let's, let's not uh, be deceived and, and think that we, we do not wrestle with the desires of the flesh. Uh, sexual desire is one of the strongest desires along with hunger and thirst. It's a very strong physical desire. 
And that can be temptations can be, can be readily available in our world. But we must be on guard. We, what can we do to maintain this purity? Now, <clears throat> a great place to begin is the mind. How do we maintain purity? With our minds. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We've read this before, not too long ago. I'm going to read it again. Uh, what we think about is important. Finally, brethren, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about these things. These are things you should think about, Christian. Things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute. And the things for the things that you dwell upon, your mind, impacts how you live. The books, the shows, the movies, the music that you intake shape the way we live. And that's why we need to be men and women of the word. We meditate upon the word as well. Let the sound doctrines of Christ shape our lives, shape our thoughts. Let that be what which we meditate on, think about. Let the songs of the Christian faith be things which comes out of our lips as we sing throughout the days. The ultimately... The motivation to this is not just for our own sake, but it's because of the doctrine of Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ that we desire to walk in purity. First John chapter 3, verse 3, John writes, And everyone who has this hope, this, this, this hope of, of Christ's return, fixed, has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Why do we want to be pure? Well, if, as Christians who believe the gospel of Christ, because our Savior is pure. And we want to be pure as he is. The hope of Christ's return, the knowledge that we shall be like him, motivates us to pursue purity. And so young women are encouraged, exhorted to be pure. Not only in general purity, morality, but even in sexual purity as well. Sound doctrine also manifests in a fifth quality in the lives of, of young women, and that is they are to be workers at home. Workers at home. We come, um, just, I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again. Throughout this passage in Titus 2, Paul just uses a lot of words that are kind of unique to the New Testament. You don't find them any, anywhere else. The Greek, the technical term they call it hapax legomenon. Hapax legomenon. They're just basically only spoken once in the New Testament. Uh, this one is one of those words. It's only spoken once in the New Testament. But it's a, it's a, so uh, when you have words like that, it's defi- how is it defined? It's, you define it by how it's used in the context of the verse. You might look to other Greek extant literature to see how is it used in that. But this is such a rare word. It's only found in one other place in all the Greek literature that's existing. So basically two passages, you look at two, two works, this passage, and you look at this other Greek, uh, I think it was a letter. And, you, and from that, you try to figure out, what, is, what does this word mean? Well, it helps to kind of look, in the, along with the context, you'd also look at, well, what is the word, what's it made of? And when you look at the word, it's, it puts the word house or home and the word work together. House and work now, most when you put that together, so it means housework, homework, maybe work, home, home is your work, work is your home. Uh, it could have any of those kind of is probably somewhere in the con- general context of that. Most modern translations that most of us use here emphasize that the house or home is the location of women's work. Right? Look at your translations; you probably have that. NAS says workers at home. ESV working at home. NIV busy at home. So the emphasis is that the work is the place, <clears throat> is the, the home is the place of her work. Now the unfortunate effect of this translation, that's not a bad translation, okay? Not a bad translation uh, if you interpret it rightly. But the, the unfortunate effect of this translation is that some will take this too far and teach that women must work only at home, Okay? You must work only at home. You're, you are to be a home worker, so you, therefore you're uh, a worker at home, so therefore you should be working at home. So you should all be telecommuting, essentially, okay, in our day and age. 
No, but oh, that is and 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 when a woman works outside the home, she is thus you know, and at least those that would go this far would say, oh, she's thus sinning against God. Or you know, a milder version is that well, basically she's perceived a little less spiritual because she's neglecting her home. Manus would basically uh, this view is is an incorrect view. It's incorrect. Okay, uh, we could. Consider all just the examples that we find in the scriptures uh, and women working. We think of probably the most well-known example in the Bible is the Proverbs 31 woman, right? You go, many of you guys go to Proverbs 31. You find there the, the woman working outside the home. She, she goes out, she's a, uh, she's a, she, uh, she goes out and buys and purchases fields and she goes out and she plants vineyards. Uh, those are things that are outside the home. She's a, uh, the Lydia, we think of Lydia, the woman, who, the seller of purple fabrics, the, the first convert in the city of Philippi. She, as a seller of purple fabrics, would have, inevitably have to go somewhere to sell the purple fabric to purchase the purple fabrics as well. So there's, there's a, just indications just from the scriptures that uh, women did work, as for Christian women, uh, women that were held in seam, did work outside the home. And so, but what does this word mean how can we take it well one could translate this word literally as home worker home worker and that <clears throat> and that's i think is a more general kind of translation i like that word translation it's basically similar to the new king james version a translator of homemakers homemakers some of you guys have used the new king james homemakers see the emphasis here is not so much on the location of the work though when you're <clears throat> but it's the nature of the work it's the nature of the work. The young woman's work is focused on her home. That all that she does in life is has its focus upon the home. Not so much the building, not the house, but her family, her household, her husband, her children. Yes, when you think about your children, you think about your... It means that that's generally things that take place in the home, at home. Right? So there is that, that idea that it's at home where you concerned about the work of the home. But when we look, I think particularly about the Proverbs 31 woman, why does she go out and work outside? Why does she do purchase field? Why does she get up early? She all does it so that her children can be clothed and fed, her husband's uh, honored, all these things. So her family is taken care of. So what we find here then is this, that a younger woman's first priority after her relationship with God is, is her home. Is her home. <clears throat> In God's wisdom and plan, he has designed you to fulfill the unique role of a, of a helper <clears throat> to your husband, who is the head of the home. I like uh, 1 Timothy 5.14. You know, a lot of people balk at the word helper. It's, oh, I don't like that word. It's, well, it's in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, okay. But in 1 Timothy 5.14, you have a problem with that, go to 1 Timothy 5.14. There you find your title, your task is referred to as a home manager. I see... Uh, <laughs> You're the home manager. He may be the head. You're the you're the manager. Okay, uh, so just kind of just think about it. you manage the home. You rule I mean, in a sense, kind of rule the home uh, when you take care of the home. Now, let me add. Uh, what about women who work outside the home? And God's word. I want to just add, make clear that God's word not conde- does not condemn you if you work outside the home. God's word. What it does is it calls you. If you're going to work outside the home, as you work outside the home, to not forget your priority as a woman for your home. And I think you would all agree with that. I think I, you just, it's, in our day and age, uh, probably in our city, it's very hard to have, live on single income. Most families need double income. Actually, most families need uh, quadruple income, okay? <laughs> Before living in the city, you're all probably just bunking up with other families. Uh, but it's pretty hard. So, different, Different circumstances require uh, in different societies. Our culture today, approaching San Francisco, it really does sometimes. And I understand where you you um, need double income to survive to make it in the city. But God's word would have you to not neglect your priority to make to to uh, to work make you, the work of your home uh, that which is always a concern in your heart, something you're thinking about that you're pursuing for. That you're even when you work outside, when you do anything else, that is for your family, for your husband, your children. And whenever there is conflict, and that's uh, sometimes you read the stories of 
you know, wives just, just being torn between choosing between working outside the home because they need the money and she doesn't get to spend time with her children. Of course, you know, give them, you know most moms going to say, oh, of course I'd rather spend time with children. You want to play with your children in the guard, at this playground or you want to go work eight hours a day? Uh, I'll go play with my kids in the playground any day, you know? It's just like, yeah, that's sign me up. But yet they're torn because there's this, this is, you know, there's, there's a need for, you know, to for help with the finances of the home. Whenever there's such conflict, whenever uh, you find yourself in those circumstances, I just encourage you, uh, God's given you resources. Older women, go seek them out. Encourage, ask an older woman, and share with them your burden. Ask them for help. And our older women, in their wisdom, will, will tell you and give you ideas and pray for you and counsel. Maybe they went through the same things. Along with your, your husband, you will come to a decision that's, that's always going to be best for your family and, and most of all, pleasing to the Lord. So, the sixth, uh, we move on. That's the workers at home. Workers at home, I'm sorry. It's been flying along here. The sixth one is be kind. She has to be kind. Uh, she must demonstrate kindness towards others in her life, especially to those in her household. The pressures and demands of managing a home may make a young woman irritable and harsh to those of her husband. I, I definitely know it makes a young man irritable and harsh to those of his household, for sure. So it may be having the same with you. But, you know, when you repeat those instructions over and over again, and when, when they uh, just disobey, and, and um, it can make someone bitter. And so, therefore, she's encouraged to be kind, to hardly do whatever, what is good and beneficial to others, especially those of her household. And I, when I think about kindness, I think about, I really do think that God made women to be kind. Uh, you know, it's not that there aren't kind men. Men are kind, too can be kind. But when we think of in our, all our lives, who was the first one that modeled kindness for us? Who modeled, who exemplified it for us in our lives? Most of us are going to think about our moms. Our moms showed us that tender, caring, affection, and kindness. They, and they do it, they've not just done it when we were young, but they've done it all their lives. Sacrificially giving of themselves to care for us. They are ultimately our first picture of Christ. They are a picture of kindness. And when you think about it, later on in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, 5, it says, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appear, he saved us not on the base of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. See, moms are a picture of the, go- of the gospel, of God's kindness. The, his love for us is seen in her love. She does things for us not because we are good kids, but because of simply her mercy towards us, her love for us. She's a picture of Christ to us. She's kind. Ladies, sisters, are you, are you kind-hearted women? Are you loving, caring, considerate, helpful, selfless toward others? When you do that, you're, you show to us Christ. The seventh and final quality we move in, get to is perhaps the most difficult for modern-day women to accept, even modern-day men to accept. But young women who hold the sound, sound doctrine of Christ will be subject to their own husbands. Or will submit to their own husbands. Submit is even harsher than the word be subject. But it's, it is the same. Basically two translations of the same word. This phrase describes the demeanor and attitude of women towards their husbands. It's only to their husbands, by the way. Their own husbands. Not to all men, but to their husbands. The verb literally means to... to it was, a, was used in a military idea where uh, soldiers would line up under and align under the their commander or their their leader. So, this it describes someone being placed under the authority of another. It is used two other times in this letter, uh, in chapter in, in two, verse nine of chapter two of slaves to masters, and of chapter three verse one of Christians to rulers and authorities. The syntax, though, we call it the, the voice, but I won't get into the details of that. But the syntax of this word implies, conveys that the wife's submission to her husband is to be done voluntarily. It's not something that husbands can go home and say, wife, you must submit to me. I command you to submit to me. It's not something that the husband can force his wife to do. It's a middle voice. So it's, it's, that is, it conveys that this is something she wills to do of her own volition, a voluntary acceptance of the headship of her husband. And what we find here then really is this 
a presentation or a, of the biblical view of complementarianism. Complementarian. What is that? What's the view? Basically, the, the biblical view that the husband and wife, though equal in worth and value before God, are basically have different roles. The husband is called to be the head of the household, and he created the woman, the wife, to come along the husband as their, his helper, just as he did Eve to Adam. She used to be a helper, unless you think that that is a, a demeaning word. Times we think of it, we in our culture, in our English language, say, oh, helper means that you're not so important. But no, the Holy Spirit's a helper. And he is no less important in the Trinity than God the Father, God the Son. She is called, though, as a helper to, to support his leadership of the family. This doesn't mean that she is, she is to follow his, his leadership. It doesn't mean, though, that she is to follow him blindly and to sin. She has every... She is, she is responsible as a, as a helper to, to, to consider the circumstances of the family, to give uh, her thoughts about matters as, as delegated in their home, to make decisions about uh, the respective things within the, within the family as well. And when she thinks that her husband is going down the deep end or doing, making the wrong decision, it's her responsibility to tell him so. Hey, you're going to hit that car. You better stop it, you know. My wife just saved my life the other day. <laughs> She's like, just doing that. Well, a little more, uh, a little more excited. <laughs> hey, watch it. <laughs> Anyways, the well-known parallel to this verse is Ephesians five twenty-two, and it's important. Ephesians five twenty-two, the parallel. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Here's the phrase: Ask the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. The wife's submission to her husband is basically a reflection of her submission to the Lord. It's as to the Lord. As you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, you confess him as Lord. As you submit to him, then in a similar way, you would submit to your husband. I know it's not popular. Biblical Christianity is often called patriarchal in a pejorative sense. But in a just, in a just simple technical sense, biblical Christianity is patriarchal. We don't call our heavenly father heavenly mother we call him heavenly father we do not call and and god has created men to be the heads of the household the heads of the homes but it is devoid uh, and though it is abused we must add that and that's often what uh maybe the, the world will, will look at and say look that there's abuse that man is basically just treating his wife like a slave he's just abusing her he's neglected he's just making him he does nothing that's not biblical christianity but needs to say what scriptures describes here the complementary view of husbands and wives equal before worth before god be different in roles is a picture of ultimately a picture of christ in his relationship with the church how Christ is the head of the church, and he loves the church, and he gave himself for the church. And the husbands, when they get that, you realize basically how immense a task it is for us to love our wives, to look out for her, to give our lives for her and our, and our family. When it comes to subjecting ourselves to our husbands, to, submitting to ourselves to our husbands, really this idea of submission is, should not be too unfamiliar to all of us in our, in our world. Because everyone in this room, everyone in this world has to submit to some authority. We all do. We submit to not only, in, whether in our home, we submit in our, in our schools, to our teachers. We submit in our society, to our, our politicians, our governor, our leaders. We submit to uh, our police officers or when the firemen tell us the thing. We, we need to submit to all of the different roles. Different by our bosses, we submit to them. And when we do that, when we submit, we submit in a way that redorns the doctrine of Christ. And when we do not submit, we are basically not submitting to God's word, and ultimately we're not submitting to Christ. And that's really the issue when it comes to submitting to husbands. Really, are we submitting to Christ? Well, these are the seven qualities of a, of a younger woman. And we, I want to just end with the, the verse ends in verse 7. This, this last phrase in verse 7. We end with this motivation for younger women to conduct themselves in such a way to adorn these qualities that befit sound doctrine. And it's so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why do we need to do these things? Just not, so, not, so not only will we have harmonious, it's not just to have harmonious families, not just to be, uh, 
just uh, to, uh, to be moral, but so that God's word will not be dishonored. Literally, it's so that God's word will not be blasphemed. The consequence of not conducting ourselves, befitting a sound doctrine, is that the word of God is dishonored. It's spoken down of, spoken ill of, presumably by those outside the church, non-Christians. You know, the world may not care about what we believe as Christians. They might not even care. They might not be interested. But when they see us living according to the, not living according to the word of God that we say we believe in, it becomes an opportunity to rightly call us, rightly call us hypocrites, but wrongly blaspheme our God. See, our lives are a testimony to the authority and power of Christ. We've been looking in Titus 2 of how if we do not live according to the word of God, if the sound doctrine we hold up does not affect our, how we conduct ourselves, our behavior, then others can come and say that the word of God that you believe in, the gospel that is proclaimed there, is useless because it's powerless. If it cannot change you in your earthly relationships with one another, how can you say it would change your relationship with God the Father? Which is it harder to do? We are a testimony to the authority and power of Christ. When we live accordingly to the word of God, when we live and reflect this conduct befitting a sound doctrine, the world will see the power of Christ and his cross to change lives for the better. But they will see the power of the cross to bring them, to change them to a right relationship with their creator and God. That's why we do this. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And we pray for that as we heard your word, may you enable and continue to encourage our younger uh, sisters among us uh, here at the church to conduct themselves in a manner befitting of sound doctrine. Lord, enable them to do so, not be by their own efforts and strength, but in dependence upon your spirit. For Lord, we know that this is not something that we can do on our own. We can't just pull ourselves up on our bootstraps. It is something that which you produce in our lives through your spirit. Father, we pray that you take your word now, sow it deep in our hearts, and cause us, not only our sisters, but all of us, to live and conduct ourselves in a manner befitting of sound doctrine, that our lives would testify of the power and the authority of Christ. That, Lord, that the word of God would not be blasphemed, but that the word of God would be seen for what it is, the wisdom and power of God that changes lives. Not only for us, but all who have been the knee, bow the knee to our Lord and Savior Jesus. Well, Father, make us more health, a healthy church that Christ might be magnified even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.